All right, so one of the things that, uh, that would happen a lot in churches that I would go to growing up is the pastor would say, I'm not going to be before you long today. That was always something that you did not want to hear because you knew that meant you were in for a long one. So <laughs> I'm not going to be before you long today. So it is an honor to be before you all again, uh, before you all again this year. Now that this is my second ever time uh, preaching a sermon, I have slightly less trepidation as I did at the beginning of this year when I did my first one. Someone asked me recently, what do you enjoy the most about New Hope? And it, and it didn't take me long to, to answer that. Um, you see, one of the things that I recognized immediately when I came through the doors, my family and I, almost seven years ago, was that this place um, is a place where people feel genuine. And... That was true to me then, just as true to me then as it is to me now. People, when they come here, I feel like they are free to be as they are. And, uh, and, and that comes without a lot of the typical pretense. And so that is something that, I have, um, that I've loved about this place. And I feel blessed every time I get the, the opportunity to... Uh, to come to service, or to be involved in any way. We're not living perfect lives, and no one, uh, no one claims that, not claiming that. But Jesus is first, and he's at the center. And effectively, um, that's ultimately what matters. So I have a big thank you to Gary. Gary, thank you for being um, for being the model of a man and a leader who holds God and his word as the ultimate authority. Thank you for having led the way in this and, and being a man who has, uh, the, has had the courage to be authentic and vulnerable. Um, and certainly I'm not the only one that thanks you. My family thanks you. And I believe this entire body of believers, you all, uh, thank Gary as well, Pastor Gary. So let's get into some scripture. We're going to start with Isaiah 9 at verse 6. Uh, we'll read verse 6 and 7. And this should be familiar as uh, Pastor Gary's been starting here for this series. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness 
from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Excuse me. I'll be calling today's message the peace transactions. And there are two of them that are crucial. So, December 20th, almost to the end of 2020. <laughs> 2020, y'all, uh, what a year it has been. How are you feeling? Really, take a pause there. Maybe take a deep breath if you need to. But let it sink in. How are you feeling? How are you truly feeling? I can tell you that I love how God works. As we come up to the end of this year, when Gary asked me to, um, to speak again and he told me the basis of this series, I knew instantly that I would focus on the Prince of Peace. You see, when Gary approached me, uh, it happened to be at the very moment that I had been wrestling in my quiet times with God with whether or not I had been walking in perfect peace. Um, you see, 2020, you know, events of this year, various events of this year, you know, got me a little rattled. At the beginning of this year, as the year started, I was having an incredibly, incredibly rough time. You see, in November of last year, 2019, um, my oldest son, Malcolm, Malcolm II, he got upset with me. And as this year got underway, by the time we got to January, it had basically been two months that we probably hadn't spoken more than a sentence to each other. The incredible, the, the kicker is that I had zero idea of why he was even upset with me, truly. So, did I have perfect peace? As the year went on and the pandemic hit, work got increasingly stressful. So we're starting to pile on stress here. Then George Floyd got killed. More stress. And then we had, let's call it, the most interesting election that I feel like I've ever seen. And what I did as the, as the election was playing out and all, everything surrounding it, I, I watched and I, and I realized that the, the angst and the worry that many people were feeling, I was kind of starting to feel that too. Let's pile on some more stress. It is no secret 
by this point that our world was rocked this year in some very significant ways. I have already mentioned a global pandemic that has led to over 1.6 million lives lost across the world and more than 300,000 in this country alone. But let's pause there for a second. Those are not just numbers. Those are people. People who lost their own lives and, and loved ones of family, friends, who don't get to be with them anymore. In Lake County, we have almost 700,000 people. And so to put that into perspective, the numbers, 1.6 million lives across the world is over, half, over twice the amount of the population of Lake County. And then the, the United States numbers is almost half of Lake County's population. So let's for a second imagine what life would be like if just everyone in Lake County was gone. And then some. That's the magnitude of what we've been dealing with, with this, in this global pandemic. We've had civil, civil unrest on a scale that I have never before seen. I saw protests erupt across the world. We had an election that further divided our country in ways that I'd never seen. And then those are the big things, right? on a kind of worldwide scale, but what about all of the day-to-day -day things that are happening or that continue to happen because we're still just living life, right? Children struggling at school or, or struggling with uh, remote school. Adults struggling with working from home for the first time and needing to now balance a lot of more responsibilities that they hadn't before. There's still broken relationships. We've had more jobs lost, businesses closing. We couldn't get toilet paper for a long time. <laughs> and now we're going to talk about peace? So let's go, let's revisit Isaiah, but let's go back a little further to... Uh, Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 19, we'll start at. I'd like to get some more context of what led to, uh, to the prophecy. Isaiah 8, 19. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? 
consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Now here, distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward, they will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Let's continue to chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. And then after this is where he launches into the prophecy of the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. As I read and meditated this, I couldn't help but feel like Isaiah's description here of how people would respond in hard times feels eerily familiar to what's happening and what's been happening in our country today. I read about a team of researchers from the computational, they're at the computational story lab of the University of Vermont. And what they did was they devised a way to assess general well-being by looking at word usage on Twitter. Now I know not everyone in the world is on Twitter and not everyone uses social media. So this is a slice of life. I understand that. But what's interesting here is it turns out that this tool they, they created um, found that the saddest day that they've ever recorded in the 13 years of them utilizing this, that saddest day happened this year. Take a moment and maybe make a guess at what day you think that was. I'll wait. <laughs> that day was May 31st. On May 31st, on, on Twitter, the most commonly used words in the English language, among them were terrorist, violence, and racist. This was a week after George Floyd got killed. Terrorist, violence, and racist. Well, those are like the opposite of peace. People throughout our world were only seeing and discussing and talking about distress, darkness, and fearful gloom. 
But there's one distinction between when Isaiah penned those words thousands of years ago and now. It's a major distinction. His name is Jesus. He came to the earth as a baby. He gave up his life as a man. And now he lives, seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. But before he left this earth, he left us this. Let's take a look at John 14, 27. John 14, 27. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Peace I leave with you. My, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Pardon me wants to say, easier said than done, Jesus. <laughs> but isn't it interesting here that Jesus claimed ownership of peace? You see, I had to look back at, what, okay, what's happening in this passage? And if we, if we kind of zoom out from verse 27 and look at the context of when he's speaking, this is after the Last Supper. Jesus, at this point, knows that his time on earth is coming to an end. He, he just had this discussion with the disciples. But yet, in the midst of that time, he's providing reassurance to us, to you and I, that will be taken care of because he's going to the Father and the Father would then send the Holy Spirit in his name. So I want to look at this through the context of the world perspective and world standards. And when I do, well, this, this doesn't seem like a peaceful moment at all. Plus, if you look purely at the physical, at the surface, you know, I would, I would describe Jesus' life as a peaceful one. Certainly not during the years of his ministry. You know, we've got the Pharisees and Sadducees that were constantly after him. There are multiple occasions where people, crowds, wanted to seize him, um, and he had to, like, depart through the crowds, right? At this very moment here, he knows, he's, he knows that he's about to be betrayed, and he knows that a betrayal just occurred. He's, and this is by his closest friends and followers, he is about to be beaten within inches of his life and then endure the cross. 
But there he is claiming peace. Things that make you go, hmm. This brings us to the first of our peace transactions. And so I want to take a step back when I say peace transaction. I want to first look at the word transaction. Um, That's an easy word that we all know. Um, So by that, I mean an exchange or interaction between two or more parties. And then now let's look at the word peace. The word peace here in the Greek is the word irene, irene. It comes from the root iro, which means to join or tie together into a whole. We could also say to join or bind together that which has been separated. It's wholeness. During what I imagine would have been Jesus' hardest time on earth, he leaned into and understood that he was joined together, one and whole with God the Father. In fact, his entire existence was one of being joined together uh, as one with God the Father. As God originally intended, for all of mankind. And that's why we call Jesus the last Adam. When we add to that, he understood that his role was to create a bridge that would enable all of mankind to experience that same Irene that he experienced. And in fact, we do get to experience it when we call upon him as our Lord and Savior. So to summarize the first peace transaction, it's one that occurs when we are restored to wholeness with God through Jesus Christ. And that happens upon our declaration of faith. So if that's peace transaction number one, you might be wondering, okay, what's peace transaction number two? Glad you asked. Let's take a look at John 14, 27 again. So I'll read the first part here. Peace I leave with you. This is, again, Jesus speaking. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. He didn't keep it from himself. He didn't keep the wholeness for himself. He passed it on. In the last days, he passed it on to his disciples. And then by extension, to us, to you and me, to whoever would call upon him. So I'm going to go back to the the situation with my son, Malcolm II. 
we got to May of this year, May 2020, and still had not really spoken beyond maybe a high or a bye. And even those were like, bye, you know. Yeah, we're both a little stubborn. <laughs> um, but then something happened. In May, I had my birthday, my 40th birthday. And as things would go, we all, we're all in the middle of like quarantine and all that, so couldn't get together with folks. And so Amy, my wonderful wife, for my birthday, reached out to a bunch of people and had them write letters for me. She presented the opportunity, that option to my son, and he wrote a letter. He gave me a letter of apology. Now, let me remind you that I really didn't know why he was upset with me to begin with. So with that comes confusion, frustration, um, you know, all the hurt and anguish because we haven't been talking. All the kind of like troubling feelings that you could possibly imagine that someone would be going through with their oldest, their firstborn. And so in that moment, when I read his letter, I had a choice. I could either sit with those that hurt and uh, those negative feelings and allow that to be uh, the my guiding response or respond out of those. Or I could lean into the peace that Jesus left us and respond out of that. Well, I'm happy to say that by the grace of God, I chose the latter. And if you were here this summer for baptisms and you witnessed his baptism, a part of his testimony toward the end, he said something like this. He said, I realized that if my dad could forgive me, how much more could God the Father forgive me? That was a peace transaction. That's like the second type of peace transaction, which is, occurs between two individuals, two or more individuals here on earth. Now, I'm not claiming perfection here. I didn't, I didn't have perfect peace throughout this entire situation. I mean, I was jittery, restless, you know, I had defeating thoughts, uh, shed a lot of tears. Nevertheless, through it all, at the hardest times, God made ways for me to see how to lean into him 
And I believe that he does that with all of his people. We, he makes a way so that we don't only have to see the, the distress and the gloom. We can look to him and see something different. And in fact, in his word, he has provided example after example of how we can, we can respond to others when times are the hardest. So, I know that we've grown up hearing and maybe have even expressed desires for peace on earth. Might have even wished for it. But it seems really that we're moving further and further away from that. And as we know, we've got, we've got the Bible, we've got revelations. We know that times get harder in the last days. And so when we think about peace, I think it's important to remember that peace didn't originate on earth. Peace is of God and his spirit. And since it is of his spirit, we can't find it by looking on earth. We experience it through the unification that comes through Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So today I pray that our eyes will be open and that we will see the moments where the peace transactions can take place, where we can be conduits, the conduits of the peace that Jesus left us. They're typically not hard to spot wherever and whenever Tensions are flaring and emotions are high. There's our opportunity. With God's help, by the way of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, we can respond with, with love, with kindness, compassion, uh, gentleness. And here's one, forgiveness. All of these things, especially in hard times, have the ability to usher in the peace of God. So we've got Christmas coming in a few days, five days. And as we give gifts this holiday season, as we start to, and then as we start to make plans for 2021, let's keep in mind we can, we can take a breath. We can say, hey, we've made it through 2020. But let's keep in mind that there's still going to be trouble. People are still going to be hurting and suffering, struggling in different ways. And instead of merely wishing 
for peace, for world peace, we can be active participants in gifting peace. Because of the Prince of Peace, each peace transaction that we participate in will pay dividends that God himself will back. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you've sent your word to help us um, ultimately to pave the way to be reunited with you. And along the way, we thank you for the truths therein that help us to navigate this world until such a time as we spend eternity with you. Lord, we know that 2020 has been a year of many surprises, to say the least. But through it all, we know that as your children, that you've made a way and that you continually make ways for us to live in peace and wholeness with you. We thank you, Lord, we love you, and we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. Um, have an amazing and peaceful Sunday. <laughs>